Welcome to the More Equity Podcast by Harlem Capital. Harlem Capital is a diversity-focused, early-stage venture capital fund based in New York. We're on the mission to invest in 1,000 diverse entrepreneurs over the next 20 years. In this season of the podcast, we're speaking with diverse angel investors and having them share their journey and lessons learned along the way. Follow along as Tona Abaze leads the conversation. I think that first angel investment is all about getting excited. It's hearing a founder, understanding the dream of the future state that they're painting and wanting to be a part of it. Angel investors are the people who just have the belief in somebody and decide to take the plunge and write the check. So I would just do it sooner. Obviously, you got to be mindful of the capital you have and, you know, paying rent and putting food on the table. But if you've got the ability and you've got a 401k or a bunch of ETFs and access to good people and good companies, write the check earlier. Hi, everyone. This is your host, Tono Abase, Venture Fellow at Harlem Capital. In this season, I'll be uncovering the tips and tricks to being a successful angel investor from your favorite founders, operators, and venture capitalists. Today, I'll be talking to Mecca Asonye, partner at First Round Capital and former executive at Stripe and Mixpanel. In this episode, Mecca shares his story from breaking into tech through non-traditional backgrounds to discovering his first angel investment. He sheds light on navigating angel investing, forming value-add relationships with founders, and thinking through transitions, like Mecca's decision to leave his role at Stripe to become a partner at First Round Capital. Hi, Mecca. We are so happy to have you here on the HCP podcast for our Angel Investor Series. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. I'm really pumped to be here. I'm sure many are familiar with you and your background, but for those who aren't, I just want to give them a little bit of insight into who you are. So Mecca Asonye is a partner at First Round Capital, a seed stage technology venture fund. He is based in San Francisco, and Mecca's notable angel investments include Stitch, SnackPass, Coda, Common Room, Alloy, Schiffer, and Rimeto. Previously, he served as VP of Sales and Services as Mixpanel, where he ran more than a 100-person global revenue team. Before Mixpanel, Mecca spent four years at Stripe as it scaled from 250 to 2,000 people and matured its sales organization. Prior to that, he worked as a case team leader at Bain in San Francisco, and he actually started his career in player development and baseball operations for the Cleveland Indians. Thank you so much, Mecca, for joining us. You have a wealth of experience in different industries that you're going to bring to our conversation today, and we're super excited to jump in. Yeah, some may say wealth, others might say weird, wacky career path, but I'll take it. Well, you know the the saying, jack of all trades, duke of done, but obviously it's worked out pretty well for yourself. You've landed yourself a partner seat at First Round Capital, and you were one of the first hires that they made that did not come from their internal network, which I'm sure has been a very interesting experience as well. I mean, we heard the bio, but it's helpful to know who are you outside of the resume? Where did you grow up? Where did you get to school? And did you imagine that this was going to be where you landed? Yeah. I mean, I love how a lot of people sort of tell a a perfect narrative for how one piece led to another, which led to another. And I will be the first one to say that I never thought that I'd be living in San Francisco, um, investing in early stage companies. Um, I'm a first generation American. Uh, My parents are both from Nigeria and we grew up in the Midwest in the Chicago suburb. Um, And part of what I love about this industry in this country is that you might end up in places you never thought you'd be. 
in terms of school, I mean, education was obviously very important to my family. I think it comes with the immigrant piece. I, I went to Princeton and I studied uh, econ and finance, and I also um, got my MBA from Harvard Business School. You mentioned it on the podcast, but my first job out of college was pretty non-traditional. Um, I worked in player development and baseball operations for the Indians. I can tell a story now, which the job there is very similar to venture. You're trying to find undervalued talent invest in them and get them to the major league. So drafting a sort of high school player and seeing them on the major league field 10, 15 years later, it's probably very similar to investing in an entrepreneur with just the slide deck and seeing them ring the bell 15 to 20 years later. After the Indians in four years there in business school, I, I headed off to Bain and Company. And you know I spent all of my time working with sort of what we would now consider legacy tech companies, the Cisco, Symantec, HPs of the world and their B2B practice. Um, and it was really, for me, it was pairing HBS with Bain was this like great, you know, I call it my five-year business boot camp since I'd had such a non-traditional background um, coming out of college. And I think after some time there, after really getting to spend a bunch of time in the boardroom, seeing what really large companies look like from the top, I realized that I wanted to get my hands super dirty. So that's where I moved to Stripe as, as one of the first accounting executives there. And again, you know, Stripe has been a great story. I, I can't think of a better place to have transitioned to early stage technology, but even then, the path now just seems like, oh, wow, the small company that now is worth $100 billion, like it must have always been up and to the right. And there's a lot of, there was a ton of up and to the right, but there was also a lot of no's. We were selling to early stage companies when they were still asking us who we were and whether or not we'd be in business. So I had a ton of fun there. I really feel like I cut my teeth. I learned what a great go-to-market organization um, looks like. And after four years there, I realized like, hey, I want to own the number. I want to be in charge, you know, sit in the revenue seat and sort of be responsible of the end-to-end -end customer lifecycle. I spent a year at Mixpanel doing that. Then the first round opportunity came up and sort of the rest is history. And now I'm here at first round as a partner at the firm that focuses always on the seed stage, the early days, and to be able to call you know, the firm home that invested in Notion and Roblox and Uber and Square, I just feel really, really blessed. So you've told us a story and you're right. It does have a very nice narrative to it with many different parts, but somewhere within all of that, you also found time to become an angel investor. And there were times when you were wearing this operator hat while also angel investing. So I'm curious when you were thinking about what you wanted to be when you grew up, maybe it wasn't a venture capital person, maybe it wasn't working at Stripe, but was it an angel investor? And if not, when did that even come into the roadmap for you? Yeah, it definitely wasn't. So I think my parents told me over and over and over I'd be a doctor or a lawyer. None of those things came true. Uh, growing up, I used to tell them that I wanted to be a fighter pilot. Um, so anytime we'd be on a plane, whenever we'd go back to Nigeria, I just loved the actual, like, I didn't care where we were going. I just loved sitting on the plane. So naturally, I was like, oh, I'll be a fighter pilot. I want to go really fast. Angel investing, honestly, it probably didn't hit me until um, I moved to the Bay Area in 2013. And being in San Francisco, it's hard to sort of not hear about all of these companies who one day are doing one thing and all of a sudden they're everywhere. Um, we're seeing all the billboards of these, these startups on the 101 or all of a sudden seeing line bikes and birds flocking the streets or, you know, using Slack. And, and it's just you know, it's, it's being in this environment and, you know, we're living in an interesting time now where everyone's pronouncing New York dead and San Francisco dead. But 
for me, I really started to think about it when I was in the, the belly of the beast in the center of the ecosystem and just seeing how much energy there was. And, you know, like it or not, you kind of can't avoid technology when you're, when you're in the Bay Area. And I think as I had more experience, as I had more friends going into operating roles at company, honestly, as I saw people blowing up all of a sudden, like they started at some tiny company and then they're telling me that they're retiring. I was like, what? Wait. Am I doing this all wrong? Why are these people working for four years and five years and all of a sudden retiring? Uh, and I think that just kind of piqued my interest. As I started to have more conversations with people uh, at early stage companies, I just found sort of the ability to do so much in such a short time or the ability to leave your mark on an organization. <laughs> it, it's just something you don't see when you work for larger corporations. And that's what kind of got me interested in being as close to this ecosystem as I could be. So you're in the SF environment, you have the opportunity and really the privilege to be able to hear about angel investing as something you can pursue. How do you get from the first time you hear about angel investing to having now invested in five, six, seven companies? How did you learn about angel investing along the way? Yeah. I mean, I, I would probably, if you drink, I probably would recommend taking a shot before you write your first check because everyone tells you, you know, even when you're writing these checks with these founders, they do the disclaimer of you will likely never see this money again. Like just, it feels like you're signing your second born kid's kidney away when you invest. Um, but for me, it really is like the requirement is just putting yourself out there. There's obviously some requirements around accreditation for making angel investments, but for me, putting myself out there was when my roommate at the time was starting a company. And it's funny because you watch the way someone operates in their personal life and their professional life when they have no reason to impress you. And I was just like, man, that guy hustles. That guy will do whatever it takes. This person slept three hours last night and he's doing it at a big, at the time he was working at Facebook. So I'm like, this guy is giving it his all. And he's one of however many thousands of employees and he's just grinding. Or when you ask a question about, hey, I'm going to this city that you've been to, give me some recommendations. And he sends you back a 10 page Google doc annotated. You're like, oh, okay, like this, this person's attention to detail, like they just don't do anything half-assed. They do everything with all of their power. And when he said he was starting a company, I was like, whatever it is, I want to be involved. Then he told me the two other employees were early Facebook employees and what they were working on at Rometto was reinventing the enterprise directory. And I remember him asking like, hey, what do you do when you're at work and you're going to meet with someone that you've never met with? And I'm like, oh yeah, I go to their LinkedIn. He's like, isn't that broken? Like you're going to this external provider to find out context about this person inside your corporation that you're going to meet with. So I just got really excited. And I think that first angel investment is all about getting excited. It's hearing a founder understanding the pain point or just understanding the dream of the future state that they're painting and wanting to be a part of it. And I, I remember him talking about what he was building. I remember thinking about all of my interactions with Maxwell over a period of time and just being like, I don't care what it is that you're doing. I want to support it because I believe that you will be successful. So you're really fortunate that you've had that founder interaction and that founder connection very easy and very early in the sense that it helped you figure out what you were looking for down the line and the type of founders that you wanted to back. But obviously making your first angel investment is very different from doing it at scale and making multiple investments. So obviously there's angel programs, there's angel syndicates. What route did you take to scaling your angel investment learning? And did you find that the route that you took, maybe doing a program was helpful? Yeah. So I would definitely say the road started with kind of like 
one-step adjacencies. My first couple of investments were in people that I knew in a social or work context. I wasn't doing any like proactive outbound to finding new opportunities. And that, that worked for me at a time. It was a great way to get my feet wet, understand what the process was like. I could always ask the founder like, hey, am I doing this right? Like, you know, it was a very safe space for somebody who felt very new and alien to the ecosystem. But I, I think one, so many angel investors feel that way. And it's like, the other thing about being an angel investor is all it takes is like changing your LinkedIn title to angel investor or like writing a check. And all of a sudden, like, I think there's this mystique from the outside of, oh, these people know what they're doing or know what the answer is. And obviously writing checks blindly without knowing what you're doing is a great recipe to light all of your money on fire. I do think that there are programs now which can help you get more comfortable, but it's still only going to take you so far. You still, at the end of the day, have to take that first step on your own, write your own check and see what happens. So I, I was luckily enough to be a part of First Round's Angel Track. And that really got me from this world of, okay, I feel really comfortable investing in people that I've known for years, who I know to be top talent too. I can evaluate a founder who I've never met before and feel like, okay, this is a good investment. The Angel Track program was like this amazing community and curriculum. And I feel like I took away really specific practical learnings for mental models for how to evaluate a team or a product. I also think that venture and angel investing is an apprenticeship model. And I think it's really important to try to find other angels who you might be friends with, who can talk you through, this is how I'm evaluating this deal. And AngelTrack gave you this 15 person group of amateur angel investors who we could just like toss ideas off of. It also gave us the window to talk to the partners at first round and famous angel investors like Lod Gill about how they think about it. And I think that community and that curriculum really turbocharged my education. Again, felt almost like that business boot camp of, you know, Bain and HBS all packaged up into one. And I feel like I left Angel Track being like, all right. I now have a new set of tools that I can use as I'm getting sent to all these decks or as people are hitting me up on LinkedIn and asking if I want to angel invest. What's illuminating from your experience isn't just how an angel program like First Rounds can be helpful, but I think it's also what it means when you decide not to go that route. Like what you said with the one-step adjacencies, how do you get comfortable from the lane and the seat that you're already in? I think you're a wonderful example of that. It ties to my next question, which is in the beginning, before you were a full-time venture capitalist, why did you angel invest and what did you see as the role of the angel investor for the companies that you were partnering with? Yeah. So I, I don't know if you've ever had a coach or a teacher or friend or mentor just really believe in you and especially believe in you when you're like somewhat potentially doubting yourself or maybe you're not doubting yourself, but no one else in the world has said, yeah, you can do this thing that everyone else thinks is impossible. I've had a couple of people in my life, in my career, who've been that to me. And I will just never forget that feeling of, wow, that person is putting their faith in me and trust me. And I think angel investing can be the same. You know, there's obviously these hot deals these days where like you ask to invest and they cut you down to 10% of, of your allocation. But there's also other founders where you are the first money, you're the first person to write a check to make them feel validated and feel like, hey, I'm not crazy for trying to pursue this. And I, I think that connection 
that you build with someone when you're one of their early backers is really special. My life is always about relationships and people. Um, and I angel invest to be close to what I think is just like the top 0.01% of people who are chasing these ridiculously ambitious dreams. I almost feel selfish because I leave those conversations energized. Like I can do anything. I'm like, if that person believes that they can do this in this period of time, man, I got to up my game. I got to do better. I got to do more. Um, there's this other piece too of, Again, that like being in San Francisco, when you're in a place where so many people are trying to flip industries on their head or make the impossible happen. I like being close to that. I like understanding where the energy and where the movement and where the, where the development is. I'm always the person who was trying to alpha test their product or an early adopter. So for me, it just like really fits my personality. You know, and there's a very, very small piece where I'm hopeful that at some point this pays off financially, but you know, I would do it for the first piece only. Well, it's exciting to see the way that community interacts with angel investing and how you've been able to draw from multiple experiences and the roles you've had to engage with what really is a very, very exciting extracurricular activity and a great networking tool. What's interesting that I've seen is that many roads lead to angel investing and also angel investing can open many doors. You've had the opportunity to be an operator and an angel investor and then come full-time into VC as a partner how did you know when it was the right time to make those transitions and what experiences played a role in you making the decision to come full-time to the venture capital side instead of just solely doing angel investing as part of your operator experience? Yeah, that's a loaded question with a multifaceted response. I'll start it off with one piece, which is I love the country that we live in. I love the opportunity that it's afforded my family. But I also think that there are areas where we just need to be better. We've lived through a crazy freaking year. And over the last year, it's, you know, you're not going anywhere. So you've had a lot of time to reflect and think about what are you doing with your life and what are you doing with your career and how are you making the world a better place? Or I just felt I had an opportunity to do more, to give more than to just be at one company as an operator. When I think about my time at Stripe, when I think about my time at Nick's panel, I feel so lucky and blessed to have had those experiences. But when I think about an angel investor role or a venture capitalist, you can impact a lot of people. Like you can invest in 20 different founders who are doing 20 different ideas. And that's, that's powerful. I will say that investing is very different than operating and you need to understand when you're ready to make that transition. And, you know, I'm, I'm a big sports nut. So like being a player is very different than being a coach. And some of the greatest players are the worst coaches and some of the worst players are the best coaches. So, you know, for me, I just started to think about where I was in my career. I'd owned a revenue number for, for too many quarters to count and hit that revenue number in every quarter. And I just started to feel like I was ready for a different challenge. And I've always been someone who's been naturally intellectually curious about a bunch of different industries. And I think rather than committing myself full-time to operating at one place, I felt like venture was a great place to be. Um, I will also say I had realized that I was ready for that transition many quarters before I joined first round. But I think that if you are going to make the switch, you need to make it at the right place with the right people at the right time. And I was going to wait for that perfect opportunity. And for me, first round was that. As with many things in the investing world, it is as much about timing as it is about people. 
you bring the perspective of having been an angel investor when you were an operator and having continued to be an angel investor, now being a partner, how does that impact the way that you approach angel investing because you've seen so many different seats? Yeah. So for me, it's super powerful that my operating expertise is legitimately one quarter old right now. So I'm working with a SaaS company right now, and they're trying to close their first few pilots. And I still know those revenue leaders who they're trying to sell to. I also think that when they're talking about, okay, how do I, you know, hiring processes, just anything about operating, like it's still super fresh. So I think that I try to bring my operating experience to bear with my portfolio companies. And I realize that's an unfair advantage that I'll have for some period of time, two, three years from now, like, you know, I'll be irrelevant. My operating experience will be far more relevant than it is today. But while it's here, I'm obviously going to use it. And then as the angel investing piece, I think it really helps as, as a professional investor. You're still looking at the same things. You're still evaluating product, market, and team. And you get a bunch of practice doing that as an angel investor when you're seeing all these decks. You get a bunch of um, feedback once you've been doing it for a while. You can be like, okay, I passed on this opportunity. Oh, and then first round funded it, you know, and a $7 million team, what was I thinking? Or, you know, I was really excited about this opportunity. And a year later, like they're not in business anymore. They've pivoted because that first idea just didn't work out. I try to leverage all of the experiences that I've had to, you know, be the best partner to amazing entrepreneurs and founders and, and um, to my investing on a day-to-day basis. I think your approach helps our audience understand how sitting full-time in a seat can be helpful to angel investing. It's very helpful for you to highlight how they can pull from the fresh work they're doing every day as operators to be able to keep that close connectivity that you're benefiting from right now as a partner at first round because you just came off from the operating side. We're looking at so many things right now where the buyer would be someone in the revenue organization. So all of my partners would be like, hey, Mecca, would you... Is this a pain point? And maybe you experienced it or maybe you didn't. But if I didn't, I can always reach out to a bunch of other people who were in similar roles just because you've built up those networks. So I think whether you're in product or sales ops or finance, like you can bring that that hat to your conversation of, okay, if I'm the customer, what do I think about this? Because, you know, almost everything in venture comes down to, are you solving a really big problem for somebody? And I think as operators, you can figure out what are the problems that I have and are there people trying to solve that thing? When you live it every day or for years on end, like you just know it inherently better than everyone else. So think about what unfair advantages you have and how to diligence opportunities in that space. So as an operator, you do have those unfair advantages, that ability to wear the customer hat, to bring the industry expertise One of the things that operators need when they're transitioning over to being angel investors is an investment thesis. And I think that can be one of the elements that, like you said, has that mystery to it that make it a lot harder to approach. So when you were thinking about your investment thesis, did you align it with your operational expertise? How did you come up with it? And has it evolved over time, especially now as a full-time venture capitalist? I know there are a lot of people out there who spend a bunch of time thinking and writing down a specific thesis and say, you know, a generational company will be created in this category. I think that is one approach. I would say for most of my activity, I I think that like VCs don't predict the future, but founders do. And we're looking for founders to teach us what's next. 
like our investments do tend to cluster around enterprise, consumer, hardware, fintech, and healthcare. And, you know, I've got a ton of experience in enterprise and fintech, but it's not where my curiosity ends. Like, I'm happy to talk to anyone who's building something different. If you have a, a vision of the future in mind and you're passionate about it, I want to hear about it. And I myself, I over-index on team. Like I invest in rock stars. I invest with people with chips on their shoulders or founders with unfair advantages or unique insights in a space they've been in before. I mentioned earlier, product, market, team. I would just say more and more, I'm leaning more heavily on my assessment of the team. Let's lean into that a little bit more. Obviously, your investment thesis is very founder-driven. So when you're meeting with teams and when you're meeting with founders, what are some of those things that you're looking for? I know that you mentioned when you made your first investment, it was somebody who you had known. So you had seen their work ethic, but now that you're interacting with people at scale and looking at deal flow, what are some of the qualities that you like to see in founders or in teams? Yeah, I like founders and teams who just know the space really well. And sometimes that comes from, you know, they're a healthcare founder who had been at a health tech company for seven years and they're going and doing something else in the space that they discovered during their time there. But other times it looks different. It could be somebody who was, you know, a, a rocket scientist and now they're just really passionate about it. So I always care about the work done or how crisply the founder can articulate what is the current problem and what is our solution and why is it unique and why will it win? So just asking simple questions of walk me through what's broken here or paint me a picture of what ultimate success looks like. There's a bunch of questions that I'll just try to ask to understand how well does the founder really know their customer and the problem and what has been tried before and why it failed and why this attempt now is different. It's just all based on their grasp of the problem and how they're going to solve it in a unique way. That's super helpful to understanding how you build that into your due diligence, the questions that you ask in founders, the conversations you have. Zooming out a bit to the person who's trying to get involved with angel investing, maybe choosing a program. How did you balance the responsibilities of angel investing with your operator roles? What does balance look like for somebody who wants to be a successful angel investor? Yeah. I mean, if you're looking for work-life balance, I would not suggest angel investing um, just because I, I think you want to commit to a certain amount of reps. Otherwise the success rate is so small. So if you're not planning to be able to make at least 10 investments, like I would recommend waiting until you can, unless of course it is someone that you know really well or an idea that you're just like, there's no way this goes wrong. But I, you know, I, I spent nights and weekends. Most of my calls with founders were in the evenings and on the weekends, on one side, it's cool to see like, okay, this entrepreneur is hustling. Like they're happy to take a Saturday night call at 7.30 PM. Um, don't ask me why I don't have plans at 7.30 PM on Saturday night, but I think it's hard to do your day job well and be an angel investor. And I think the only way to do that is to just <laughs> other activities have to give. You have to think about it as your really important side or like a hobby that you want to pour a bunch of time into. Um, because writing the check is just the first part. Then you want to be value add to the founder, to the entrepreneur. As an angel investor, you should be thinking about your brand. And after you've made a few investments, someone might ask, oh, is XYZ actually helpful? And especially in this world where there is so much capital running around. The only currency you have is your brand. Will you be able to bring those operating experiences that you have to help the founder or customer introductions or whatever way you are pitching yourself as value add? 
I think that you want to make sure that you can carve out time for that as well. So as you've talked about, it's important to get the reps in, and I'm sure at this point you have. So what are some of the challenges you faced while angel investing? And what are some of the things that you've learned throughout this experience? Yeah, I think the challenge I faced is following first round angel track. I was lucky to have a pretty robust top of funnel. We were sharing decks with each other. We're sharing ideas. People were pulling me in, but you have only a limited number of hours a day. So for me, the hardest part is always figuring out which companies do you engage with and which do you let fly by? Uh, And a piece of that has to be like, okay, how big do I think this company can be? Um, And how helpful do I think I can be? And the last thing that you ever want to do is waste a founder's time. Like they're so busy trying to build something impossible and they've got so much going on their plate and to ask her for her time. And then for you to just quickly say, no, I I just think that you want to have a high bar of, okay, I do think this is really interesting. And there is a chance that I invest here because you just don't want to get the reputation either as the person who always takes a pitch with the founder, but then never is interested or passes and then doesn't give them real feedback. They give you 30 minutes of their time to talk about their firstborn child and how excited they are about it. And I think that it can be tough to be really candid with feedback, but I actually think it can be really powerful when you say, these are the three reasons why I'm passing. I think what you're building is amazing, but I just couldn't get to conviction on X and Y and Z. And I think sometimes when that happens, I remember a company that came in and pitched that I was really clear about why I couldn't get there. And I was just one opinion and there was probably going to be a bunch of other people who would. And I laid out why it was. And I remember two weeks later, they responded like, hey, you might not realize this, but that conversation was really pivotal for us. And we've changed our idea. And the folks that we've started talking to about the new idea are actually getting really excited and leaning forward. So I really appreciate the honesty that you came to with that conversation. Well, it's very helpful to hear your learnings because I think it'll help our angel investors understand how to approach conversations and what it means to be a reliable, dependable angel investor just outside of writing that check. If you could go back and give yourself one piece of advice or even give yourself a heads up on the journey that was to come, what advice would you give right at the beginning when you were starting your angel investing journey? I would have started sooner. I feel like I wish I was part of this journey earlier and I had opportunities to be in this journey earlier and I just didn't, I didn't step up to the plate and I'm looking at those companies now and these are founders who I was friends with and who would have gladly taken a check from me. And I'm just sitting there being like, wow, what could have been? And it's because I, you know, I just, I didn't put my foot out there. And again, I think it it goes back to this imposter syndrome of who are angel investors? Like angel investors are you and I, angel investors are all shapes and sizes. Angel investors are the people who just have the belief in somebody and decide to take the plunge and write the check. So I would just do it sooner. Obviously you got to be mindful of the capital you have and, you know, paying rent and putting food on the table. And, but if you've got the ability and you've got a 401k or a bunch of ETFs and access to good people and good companies, write the check earlier. Well, you've heard it here first. Those are the prerequisites from Mecca on angel investing. It's really just the belief in somebody and the capital and the conviction to support it. So that has been so helpful. I always ask any guests before we sign off, is there anything that you would have liked to touch on or that you'd share with our community about angel investing that we didn't get to today? No, I feel like you hit on, I feel like you hit on a list of, of really amazing topics. I feel like your listeners are really lucky to have you as their Sherpa, but I'm somebody who always goes back to people, find your community, find the people who you can share deals with, find the people who can help you evaluate things. 
if you think it's a closed door, it's not. Find one of those open doors, climb through the window, do whatever it takes to get your foot in the door, get yourself on the first cap table. Well, thank you so much, Mecca. You've been a wonderful, wonderful guest and super excited that our audience got to get some insight into your journey. And thank you for sharing your story with us today. Thank you so much for having me and hope that I didn't bore people for the last 30 minutes. Impossible. And that's a wrap. Thank you for tuning in to the Harlem Capital More Equity Podcast. Make sure to catch our other episodes in the Angel Investor Series. To stay connected to all things Harlem Capital, be sure to follow us on Twitter and subscribe to our newsletter. Until next time.